0: Series this year uh, is entitled Where's Your Worship? And there are three S's that go along with that self, stuff, or Savior. So today we're talking about self. We'll start out by thinking a little bit about the worship of self. But I want to pray together that God would do his work by his Spirit in each one of us. He knows each one of us by name. He knows how we're wired, how He developed us through our childhood, through our education, through our experiences. He knows you so personally, more personally than anyone else. And His desire is to draw you to Himself. He's seeking worshipers like you. He wants to draw you to Himself. And so, let's pray that as we look into His Word and as we think about some of these concepts this morning that each of them would be used to draw us closer to the heart of God this morning. Amen. Father God, thank You for wanting us, desiring to draw us to Yourself. Thank You for Jesus who does that work for us. We want to come to You in Him this morning, so unite us by the Spirit of Jesus. As we look at Your Word, enlighten us, our minds Our hearts, our emotions, enlighten us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at worship. Now remember last week, we talked about worship and we defined it as worship is declaring the greatness of someone or something else. Just just declaring that something or someone else is greater than yourself. We have a slide there for that, Alvin. Let's get that slide up there. Just so we remember the definition. Nope, next one. The definition for worship is that it, it's an act or an action or even an attitude in which you are declaring, you're, you're, you're proclaiming that someone or something is greater than you. And that is what worship is about. But my question for us, and I think this is probably an age-old problem, but we see it clearly in our culture today, what happens when you worship yourself? What happens when you make yourself the center of the universe? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't live at peace, you can't live in harmony with yourself if you are living that way. And so I want to challenge you this morning and I want the spirit of God to challenge you because our culture tries to conform us to this image in every way possible. The American culture is set up on the premise of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. What makes you happy? Biola University did a, did a survey in which they collected as much data as they could and they found that 84% of all people believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. You're living a good life if you're enjoying yourself. 86% believe that enjoying yourself is to pursue the things that you desire most. If you're pursuing those things, if you're after those things, if you're chasing those things, that's where you will find joy. And 91% of people in the world today, in, in America, the people that they surveyed, believe that to find yourself, you look within yourself. That somehow inside of you is this place that will you'll discover your greatest identity you'll discover your greatest self in there somewhere this is called self worship worship of self and we live in a culture which which is permeated by that self worship is the fastest growing religion in the world today there are so many books so many podcasts so many so many things dedicated to yourself it's an industry. It's something that, that allows us to, to keep everything revolving around ourselves. The problem with this is that in this self-worship, we see so many of today's hot-button issues, the social and political problems that we face are created because people are trying to please themselves and they're not thinking outside of themselves. They're just thinking, what's best for me? What can I get out of this? How can I maneuver this or vote for this or make this happen so that I get what I want because I am the most important person in the universe. And so much of the the, the angst that we have comes from this worship of self. In self-worship, there's only six commandments. Instead of 10, which actually makes it easier already. And since we are people of ease, we're attracted to it. The first commandment is that your mind is the source and standard of all truth. So no matter what, trust in yourself. Hashtag, the answers are within. You don't need anybody else to tell you how to feel or think. Which leads to the next one. Don't question your emotions. Right? Your emotions are authoritative. How you feel is what's really going on. That's what's really important. So never question how you feel. And don't let anyone else question how you feel either. Hashtag, follow your heart. Your heart will lead you home. Right? The next commandment in self-worship is... Basically, you are sovereign. You are you are God. So flex your omnipotence, right? Bend the universe around your desires and your dreams. Hashtag live your truth. Just live it out. The next one is that you are supreme. So always act according to your chief end, which, remember, is to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. Hashtag, you only live once. YOLO. The last two of these six great commandments of self worship are you are the standard of goodness. You are the one. No one should ever oppress you with some antiquated notion that somehow you have sinned or fallen short of anything. And that somehow you're in need of grace. No one should push that antiquated thought on you because you are the standard of all goodness. You are good in and of yourself. Hashtag never change. Stay the same. And lastly, you are your own creator. So use that limitless, limitless creative power within yourself to craft your own unique identity and your own unique purpose. Hashtag authenticity. Be authentic. Be true to yourself. Don't tell me you have not heard or gotten wind of this great religion. You live in it, in a culture that is run by it. In advertising and in movies and in, in, in YouTube, everything is created to lift up these commandments of self-worship. The problem is, the obvious problem is, for Christians, worship of self is rebellion against God. These commandments, which this religion of self-worship teach, they cause problems in our relationship with God, because God says, worship no one but Him. Keep Him there in the center of your life. Let Him define your purpose. Let Him show you who you are. Let Him correct you when you need correction, and then let Him love you through that change so that you become who God created you to be. And because He is your Creator, Only He knows who He created you to be. You don't find it deep inside yourself. What you got in there is just a spleen, a couple kidneys, a stomach that's growling, you know. You need someone greater than yourself to help you to develop into who God created you to be. Jesus talked in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to his disciples. If you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, he didn't use the word Christian because it hadn't been used yet, but if you want to follow me, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you must first deny your self, take up your cross, and follow me. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and a worshiper of self you must deny yourself now yourself wants to be worshipped believe me I know your pride your independence these things they, they feed on certain aspects of who you are and how you relate to the world Jesus says you must deny that you must you must say no to self and yes to God yes to Jesus even when it involves suffering. Take up your cross. The cross represents sacrifice and suffering, even when it involves suffering. See, this is such a contrary message that most of you are looking at me like What? What? This doesn't make sense. Because all we hear, twenty four seven, all around us, is is self. Build up yourself. Work on yourself. Find yourself. When really our focus, our worship, our adoration goes to God and to God alone. In the Old Testament, a book, the book of Job is a tragic book. Job goes through tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. But one of the key components... Of Job's struggle in life and Job's, Job's desire to stay in connection with God, even though people are saying, No, you did this, or No, don't do that, or whatever. He himself is trying to stay true, but at some point he questions God, and God says to him, God reveals to him this question, which I know God probably isn't sarcastic the way that we're sarcastic, but sometimes when you read scripture, you think, I'm sure God's being a little sarcastic here. But in Job 38.4, we have a slide for it. It said, God said to Job, So where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job? You know so much. You're so full of your own thoughts and your own self. Where were you when I created everything? Tell me. If you know so much, now tell me sarcasm doesn't sort of leak into that. We know it's not serious because Job wasn't there when God created everything. We know that. Job is a man just like you and I. So he, he, lived, he was born and he lived and he died and he, he had, a, he's, he had a, a finite existence. But there are times when we get so full of ourselves, and maybe it's because of the struggle we're going through and the suffering we're going through, we think, wait, no, i got to take control of this. i gotta, I got to take control of my life. i got to make something happen here. i got to do this, that, that we forget where we are in relation to God. Albert Einstein, really smart guy, right? Really smart guy. Albert Einstein said this, A person first starts to live when he can live outside of himself. There's a book on my shelf. It's a very old book. I don't even know where I got it. I think I inherited it from my dad. But, but it was called The Kingdom of Self. And if you remember reading that book, I think there was a Bible study that went with it, probably back in the 60s when the church started. But in The Kingdom of Self, it talks about the fact that we're born into the world as helpless beings, and all we know is self. We, we, we know we're cold. We know we're hungry. We know we've messed our pants. And so we make some noise when those things happen, right? Because it's all about us. And then someone mysteriously it comes and, and takes care of our issues, right? But, but what this book was about is that you know, we're, we're, we're born sort of in the flesh that way. We're born to, into existence that way. But we are to learn to live outside of ourselves. Everything is not about me. There are others in the universe who deserve love and care and comfort and compassion. There are others who need those things, and you may be the vessel for those things. If you're this black hole that just sucks everything into itself, how can you make any difference in the world around you? Here's the thing. We were made to worship. I believe that in every cell of my being. We were made to worship. In fact, we crave awe. Awe is this this point where you you, you look at something and go, Wow. Wow. We crave it. Do you know that 35,000 people a year take that inconvenient track up into the Himalayas to try to reach the summit of Mount Everest. They do it because they're in awe of of that mountain, that that's the highest peak, or one of the highest peaks in the world. But 400, and, and four, 400 million, sorry, 4 million and a half, I have to read my own notes here, they get scratchy sometimes. Four and a half million people a year go to the Grand Canyon. They drive around that canyon, they look down in there, and they go, Wow. Wow. Now this isn't necessarily because they're Christians and they're following after God, but 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 they're attracted to things that are much larger than themselves and amazing. We used to be able to look up at the stars, but there's so much there's so much um, artificial light now—it's hard to see them. But when you get to a place, whether you're up in the White Mountains or you're you're somewhere, uh, you know, uh, out at sea where there's not a lot of, uh, of artificial light, when you look up, just that simple look up at night, and you can see stars and the Milky Way. Same thing happens—you go, "Wow, wow." See, we're made to worship. Someone infinitely more interesting than ourselves. Things more, more awesome than ourselves. What happens is we get too self-absorbed. Our culture keeps trying to conform us into this, this small world. But we crave awe. We're made for it. People are paying millions of dollars now just to, to go straight up for a little while into space look down, and then come straight down again. Millions of dollars on that. Why? They want to see the earth from that vantage point so they can go, Ah, wow. That's it. That's it. And they're willing to, to pay millions of dollars for that. So we crave it. As humans, we were created to be in awe of something greater than ourselves. Science is actually slowly catching up with this ancient biblical truth. Scientists from the University of California they have coined the term small self. When we have that experience where something is awesome. Could be the ocean, you know, could be a storm. I was a weird kid when, when we lived in East Gloucester, which is on the coast, and when there was storms coming, I wanted to run and see them. I wanted to, to get out there where I could see it coming in because, you know, there's nothing obstructing it at the ocean. You just see the clouds start rolling in and you see some lightning way out there and it's coming closer and closer and the wind is picking up. And as a kid, I would just be like, wow, you know, it's coming. And then eventually run in the house. But, but we crave that. When we feel small, it's, it's not a bad thing in those instances. I'm not talking about low self-esteem. I'm just talking about realizing that there is someone greater than you. And we're created that way. At the university study that they did in California, after exposing his subjects to several elicitors of awe, he calls them, things that were awe-inspiring, they found that people, yes, they felt smaller, they felt less important... But they behaved very differently. They behaved more generously. They were more dialed into people's needs around them. They were more caring, even of the natural world. They didn't want to throw their Coke cans out the the car door. They were more caring. Now, Now think of that description, more generous, more tuned into the needs of others, more caring... Sounds like Christ to me. Sounds like something of the image of God is is bubbling up when we get into those experiences where we realize I'm not the center of the universe. There's something much greater than myself. And so let me act in accordance with my smallness. Let me act in kindness and in generosity, caring for others. There's even a mountain of research right now, and those of you who are psychologists know this, that is connecting experiences of awesomeness, like I said, the ocean, the Grand Canyon, the mountains, the weather, right? Those experiences have a substantial ability to decrease depression. Because when you're stuck in a depressive cycle, you can't think outside of yourself, you're kind of trapped in a closet it's very small and very painful and to expose yourself to the beauty of nature or to the to the amazing things around us will help to lift you up and out of that place and this is this is scientific research that is just supporting the biblical truths around us so If you want to live a fuller and happier life, the science is pointing us to being awestruck. Be awestruck more often by someone or something that's infinitely greater than you. This is from the slide last week about biblical worship. Biblical worship is defined, Elvin, in the next slide, as an expression of giving Up your own glory to make sure that everyone knows that what you worship is awesome and amazing. This is our job on earth. Letting our light shine. We have joy because of Christ. Not joy because you're a good person. Not joy because you live in a big house. Not joy because you got a nice car. Joy because there's something greater than you in the universe, and that person loved you so much, he came and made himself small, born in a manger, so that he could relate to us, so that he could build that bridge to us, so that we could understand God better. So, this Christmas, our desire with this series is that, that we will recenter our lives on the one who is more awesome than everyone else around us. I want to read you a couple of lines from, from Psalm 89. It's a long psalm, so don't worry, I won't read the whole thing, but, but you should read the whole thing. Psalm 89. It says in, in, in verse 6 For who in the skies above? can compare to our Lord who is like our Lord among the heavenly beings in the council of those holy ones God is greatly feared for he is more awesome than all who surround him he is more awesome than all who surround him this is who our God is Verse, verse 9 says, When the waves mount up, He stills them. We love that. We know that is true. So we serve a God who wants our worship. He wants us to understand his, his power even and be in awe of it. We obviously share in one piece of worship when we come together. We talked about this a little bit last week. We sing. We sing. We make music when we come together. But that is only one piece of the pie. Remember, music is only a small part of worship. Unfortunately, we've made it like it's the only part, and, and we need to correct that. So we're correcting that here in this series. It's not the only part of worship. So if you're not musical, if you don't really like to sing, right? If you have a hard time because your voice sounds like this, you know, like you, you, you have a hard time singing out with your whole heart. It's okay, because worship's only one part of it. And maybe you can clap your hands and stomp your foot instead of, you know, using your voice. That's between you and God. We are not created to be exactly alike. So there are different ways in which we relate to God individually, different ways that we can draw close to Him. And I want to end by exploring these a little bit with you. I want to explore the whole pizza, not just one piece, right? So let's look at a few other pieces. Worship isn't only what we do in church when we come together. That's called corporate worship or body worship. We come together as the body of Christ and we're worshiping together. Like I said last week, that's only one hour, or maybe an hour and a half if I go long. That's only one hour of of our week. So that can't be, if we're going to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God 24-7, it can't be just when we come together in church. You can't stay here with me every day, all day, and all night. I just won't let you. we got to clean the building sometimes. right? So, so it can't be being in church all the time. This is where I think in history, you know, the, the monks and, and the nuns and pe- people got confused because they wanted to worship God all the time, but then they cloistered themselves away from the world, and then how can you be a light in the world? How can you be solved in the world if you never enter that world? So we're to come in and build up the light in each other as the Holy Spirit does His work, and then we are to go out and shine that light. So worship goes with us. There are ways in which we're more, more predisposed to relating to God in worship, which is called our predominant spiritual temperament. Let's call it right. We well, you know a little bit about temperament or personalities. There's introverts and extroverts. Right. We know that. We just see it around us. It's part of our existence. So here's a list. And I want, as we go through this list, I want you to think about the ones that describe you or describe your loved ones. And then think about worshiping God in a different way. So maybe you're predisposed to one, but you know someone who's predisposed to another. And you can learn from them some things that you would never discover on your own. So let's go through this list. There's just nine of them. I learned these in a leadership group that I'm a part of with some pastors. We were going over this a couple of years ago. The naturalist. You may be a naturalist. The naturalist loves God outdoors. <laughs> so coming inside isn't their favorite thing to do. They love God outdoors. They prefer to worship outside of a building. To leave the pews behind and the stained glass windows and whatever else. Just let them take a walk in the woods or in the mountains, or along a beach. And naturalists naturalists will connect with God, will will have a worship experience. I think Laura is this kind of person. Some people just love nature. And they seek God in the surroundings around them, the things that He made. Of course, His image is there because He made them. He made the mountains, He made the ocean, He made the trees, He made the little insects, the bugs, everything. And so naturalists just naturally are drawn to that. They're predisposed to that. And then there's a group called sensates. All right? Just a word for senses. It's loving God through their senses. Sensates. They want to be lost in the awe and beauty and splendor of God. And they are drawn to the majestic and the grand. And when these Christians worship, they want to be filled with sights and sounds and even smells that overwhelm them like incense and architecture and beautiful music which sends their hearts soaring. Because it involves all of their senses. Then there's traditionalists. Nothing wrong with traditionalists. Sometimes I'm a little hard on them. So I'm not one myself. But they love God through their traditions. Even through their rituals. Even through the symbols of Christianity that have come down through the ages. They're fed by the historic dimensions of our faith. The structure of our faith. Written prayers. Old hymns. Things that, that were written maybe hundreds of years ago still draw them closer to God in worship, help them to draw nearer to Him as they meditate on those things. Then there's the ascetics. Loving God in solitude and in simplicity, right? They want nothing to distract them. No pictures, no loud music. Leave them alone to pray in silence, and simplicity, and they will draw near to God in worship. It's just wired that way. They want it to be more quiet, more personal, more intimate. Just a few more. The activists. These are often misunderstood, but God uses them mightily to change culture. But they love God through confrontation. I know that sounds contradiction. It's not a contradiction. They're confronting evil, right? Activists serve God, a God of justice. They worship by standing against evil and calling sinners back to repentance. Activists may adopt either a social or an evangelistic cause, and they give their whole selves to it, and that is an act of worship. They actually find worship in the rough and tumble world of confrontation, of trying to make things right. Right in God's world, right the way that God defines them. Like I said, for some of us, it doesn't always look like worship, but it can be. And God has used people throughout history to help bring about His will here on earth, His kingdom. Then there are the caregivers. Caregivers love God by loving others. There are several of you in this congregation. You love God by just loving others well, by serving others. They see Christ in the poor and the needy and the hurting. And their faith is built up and their worship takes place as they serve those people. While that might wear some of us down and make us tired, this kind of worship for those who are caregivers actually builds up their battery, fills them up. They know that God is using them, and they can feel the Spirit within them as He uses them. And so they are refreshed by it. Then there's enthusiasts. Loving God with celebration. Right? We love these people because they're like cheerleaders. They they, they help us to remember. Just rejoice. Just jump up and down. Just do it. It'll be okay. Well, Tanya was doing that today with the kids, right? She's an enthusiast. Like a cheerleader for God. Let them clap their hands and shout amen and dance around and worship. They don't want to just know the truth. They want to experience the truth and be moved by the truth. And we need these people. Otherwise, we are just so boring all the time. They do wake us up and sometimes they jar us a little bit out of our, out of our trance. But it's a good thing. Why do you think there's cheerleaders at the game? The game gets boring sometimes and so you watch the cheerleaders, right? You know? Alright, we'll move on. (laughs) The last two. There are contemplatives. Contemplatives love God just through adoration. They talk a lot about just like being in love with Jesus. They're like in a romance with Him. Their worship is like a divine romance. It's a little bit of a mystery how they worship, but they seek God with the purest and deepest and brightest love that they can bring Him. And that is their worship. You'll hear this sometimes when you talk to people, if you're in a Bible study or something and someone begins to talk about their time alone with God, you're like, wow, that's, that's intense, you know, just, just the beauty of it and how deeply they're drawn into it. They're contemplators, they just, they, they love Being in love with God. And so that's their focus. And lastly, the intellectuals, loving God with their mind. They worship God by studying Him and His doctrine. Faith is something to be understood as much as experience for these people. And so they draw closer to God when they understand something more about Him. That is their worship. So all of us can learn a great deal of how to worship from each other. Because we're all a little bit different. Right? How we meet with God. How we express our love towards God. When we share that with one another. When when, when a church is healthy, it's made up of all those types of people. It's not just one type of person. And the rest of you go find a different church. When a church is healthy, we learn to love and honor and respect one another as we all love God with our whole selves and express it in very different and unique ways. First Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about this. We, we heard already from, from our elder this morning from the book of Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, as Paul is trying to help shape this church and help us to stay on track in Corinth. He says, as it is, there are many parts, but only one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Go find another church. Nor can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. Because we all need each other. Even if sometimes we rub each other, the wrong way, right? We don't understand each other. It's because we haven't taken time to listen and open our hearts towards one another. He also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as he went on with this church, What then shall we say? Brothers and sisters, when you come together in your homes, in church, when you meet together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, or a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up, be strengthened, as we share lives together, share our experiences with God together. You know how enriching that is when you, when you hear someone just share from their whether it's from their journal or from their time together with God or through something they experienced or something they went out and did for God. It's so refreshing to us. Even if it's not our experience, it still refreshes us and builds us up because we realize, like, wow, God is bigger than me. God is bigger than my little experience. He's huge. Every time I hear someone talk about Him, I hear something different, something amazing, something awesome. And so people... We don't all want to be the same. I don't want you to be just like me. I don't want to be just like you. No offense. Right? But we all want to love God with our whole being, our whole self, our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength. We want to be doing that and growing in that. And it won't look the same for everybody. But we are not allowed to reject one another because of that. We're called to unity. Because there is strength in unity. So I pray that this, this, this morning's message and these messages will help you and me to draw closer to God. As we draw closer to God, we will draw closer to one another. Because He's our target. We can't be all over the map, right? If we've got Jesus in the center, then we're going to be drawn closer to one another. Not just by joining into worship services, but also By understanding our worship temperaments, our our worship experiences outside of church, and then sharing those with one another. Because that builds us up. As long as it's all about Jesus. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It has to be all about Jesus. God, we want to grow closer to you. Honestly, I don't think we'd be here this morning if we didn't. So Lord, you know our heart, our desire is to grow closer to you. Help us to do that in the way that you designed us to. Help us not to judge one another and to see the differences. Help us to see the similarities. Our love for Jesus. Our love to make him known in this world that desperately needs to know him. Fill us up when we worship, whether we're alone or with a couple hundred people. Fill us up with more of you. So that as we go about our lives, as we enter into our work, our school, our families, we are worshiping in whatever way we need to that day. We are realizing that you are great and awesome. And we're smaller than that. We're here to serve and to love and to lift you up. So thank you for filling us with your Spirit. Thank you for giving us your Word. Thank you for the gift of of the church, of brothers and sisters that we can share life with together. Help us to not be trapped in our small self, but to look outside of ourselves. And to see your beauty and your power and your awesomeness all around us. Thank you for Jesus. There is no one better than him. In his name we pray. Amen.